What is up, everyone? Welcome into the Fight HQ preview for UFC Vegas 69. I am Jason Ford. Of course, as always, I'm joined by my guy, Pete Rogers Jr. Pete, uh, good afternoon. How you doing, brother? What's going on? What's going on, everybody? Um, another week of fights. Excited to uh, to watch something. Um, but yeah, you know, interested to see how, how my girl Blanchfield does this weekend. Yeah, that's uh when that fight change got announced. My 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 first initial thought, Pete, was kind of like, well, that's. I mean, Thalia Santos was a tough fight, but I'm like, man, the UFC is either they really believe in Aaron Blanchfield, or they, you know, they like, hey, look, you know, we're throwing you to the wolves. We're gonna find out how good you are. Oh, it's almost like it could be too much too soon, right? And I I love you know, finding these prospects and kind of always putting like a prospect watch together. And Blanchfield is definitely, a, you know, atop that list. Um, Manon Firo is pretty close as well. But I, I do think that Blanchfield in the future is going to be somebody that's a, a staple within the division. It's just like it could be too much too soon. I mean, Jessica Andrade, former champ, has a ridiculous resume. Um, taking it on short notice could actually – you know, make this a closer fight than it would be with a full camp. I did not like the fight for Blanchfield against Tyler Santos. I, I did not like that at all. Um, and I, I almost think that she needs to mature gradually. I mean, not too long ago, we saw her, you know, struggle a little bit against a tough out in JJ Aldrich, but ultimately she passed that test. And uh, I guess we'll see if she's the real deal or not. She has the skills. It's just like, you know, a clear striking disadvantage in this matchup against Jessica Andrade. And of course, we're going to break this one down for you. And uh, Pete, all you have to do is look at this card. It, you know what this card tells you by just looking at the fight card? Apex, Vegas, something. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're at the UFC Apex. Very clear. Yeah, you remember, this fight card was actually initially supposed to be headlined by Cheeto Vera and Corey Sanhagen. That one got moved to the San Antonio card because, well, yeah, they got to sell tickets. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, this is, this is like this, this card is a prime example of why I want to see UFC shows in at the UFC apex, because we're just putting on some fights is about the best way to put it. I mean, look, it's like, as I look throughout this fight card, there's the fight card lineup to me is extremely odd. Like Mm -hmm. I would have made. Alexander Hernandez, Jim Miller, the co-main event of this fight card, not the opening fight uh, of the main card. I would have put Philippe Lins and Ova St. Prue on the main card because people know who those guys are. But, uh, I mean, you know, in terms of uh, notable name value, there's not much on this card. I mean, look, look, love the main event. I think the main event's a great fight. I love that the Alexander Hernandez, Jim Miller matchup. Outside of that, there's not a, lo- a lot that I love about just sitting on, well, I'm going to a birthday party Saturday night, so I, I won't be watching this one thing live. But if I was seeing it at home, I wouldn't be like all juiced up to watch these, these fights. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, they, they couldn't have put a better card on my birthday. It's just like, why couldn't like a, a better card fall on it? I have the night off and, you know, I'm happy to have it off. But uh, definitely wish it was like, you know, the John Jones, Cyril gone happened to fall on my birthday. Like this is, this is, you know. I've seen local promotions with better lineups than this, truthfully, like, you know, with a bunch of up up and comers. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a low level COVID era type of card. So, but I mean, it's kind of crazy, but here we are Vegas 69. Can't wait to, to see a couple of these matchups. And if you're playing, you know, DFS, I, I definitely think that this is going to be 
chalk city in, in some spots. And then you're going to have to take chances with some horrendous fighters. You know what I mean? Like you're going to have to get to some ugly options. Leaving salary on the table is one thing to get different because uh, some of these lines are efficient. A lot of these fighters are untrustworthy. Um, so it's kind of like picking your spots and recognizing where you're getting into. I, I think a mistake that could happen here is just going completely over aggressive on some volatile options. You know, that, that that's a double-edged sword because you want to be, you, you want to take that shot and get aggressive with some volatile options, but you also have to make sure that you're not um, excluding the opposition. You know what I mean? Like even like the, you know, Juan Kel Mio Ronderos against Clayton Carpenter. Tons of unknowns about both guys. You know, like, truthfully, tons of unknowns. Now, of course, Pete mentioned this question to me before we started going here live on the stream, is who is a fighter that you have the most confident in? Does not matter what their salary is. Doesn't matter how big of a favorite they are. Who is that fighter that you have the most confidence in? Leave your your answer in the chat because me and Pete had different answers on this one. Kind of interested to see uh, how the, our community, how they answer that question. Of course, we appreciate everyone tuning in. A uh, huge thanks to everyone who checked out the show last week. We had uh, some awesome numbers here last week. Yeah. Of course, uh, if you're not subscribed to the channel, be sure to do that. Uh, hit that thumbs up button. If you're watching this after the fact and you got a comment about something me or Pete has said, leave it in the comment section. We're always in those comment sections throughout the car of course we're here on fridays and uh, of course you can, if you miss the show and you want to listen to it on the podcasting platforms it is available on there as well so basically uh let everyone know how we're going to go we're going to go through fight fight by fight we're going to talk about the dfs aspect we're also going to talk about the betting aspect of this fight card as well but uh, pete let's get right started with the main event we are kind of talked a little bit about it jessica andrage and aaron blanchard jessica andrage she is the betting favorite Hey, in this one step, as I mentioned right at the beginning of the show, stepping up here on short notice, uh, weak notice to take this matchup. She's a minus 135 betting favorite, plus 150 for Aaron Blanchfield. And then when we look at the DFS salaries, 8,500 for Andrade, 7,700 for Blanchfield over on DK, 19 and $13 respectively over there. On FanDuel, and I mentioned uh, one of the comments that uh, we got in Discord prior to the show from Woody goes, feel like the main event is absolute lock, essentially, especially with the prices. Share some thoughts on that. Uh, Pete, I would agree with Woody. I think the pricing on this one, it is very tough to avoid this fight in terms of a DraftKings or a FanDuel aspect. Yeah, damn near impossible to get away from this fight, if I'm being honest. I mean, five round, five rounds possibly. Um, and then you take salary into consideration and you, you have a very aggressive fighter in Jessica Andrade going up against a grapple heavy fighter in Aaron, Bl Aaron Blanchfield. Um, you know, I, I circled Blanchfield as a prospect when she broke into the UFC and I've, you know, definitely been riding the wave. I have concerns clearly. Like I, I do think that if she can get Jessica Andrade down, um, she can impose her will, have heavy top pressure, stay out of jujitsu harm from Jessica Andrade, um, possibly work towards a crucifix where she could rain down shots, similar to how we have seen, you know, uh, she did against Molly McCann. Um, we've seen Valentina Shevchenko pick up some takedowns over Jessica Andrade and kind of just outmaneuver her as well. So I, I actually think that there is a path for Blanchfield to get this done. If this was a full camp, I even though I'm a big Blanchfield fan, I would be picking Jessica Andrade. I do think that, you know, Father Time is undefeated. 
Um, there is a decent amount of wear and tear on Jessica Andrade. She walks with her hands down. She marches forward. Somebody's going to crack her. She's going to hit with going to get hit with a knee up the middle or a head kick, um, just basically because she does not uh, she does not care about what you're throwing at her uh, because she's willing to take one to give a couple. I do think that she is exceptionally strong, but because this is a short notice nature, I do think. I do think that it could actually work in Blanchfield's favor if she, you know, imposes the correct game plan. If Jessica Andrade just sprawls and brawls, I think it's going to be a very, very rough night for her. Um, full camp, I would be picking Jessica Andrade, even though I do believe in Blanchfield's promise and prospect within the division. I do think that because of the short notice nature, though, this starts to make this a closer fight, and I'm going to lean towards a fighter who I think is going to be in better shape and a little bit more prepared for the grappling elements of the fight. I know Jessica Andrade can throw hands all day, but what happens if she's forced to defend a decent amount of takedowns or she's put on her back? A lot of unknowns. So as far as picking the fight, I would be a fake type of analyst to go and hop off the Blanchfield train right now. I don't like the matchup. I don't like the management decision behind Tyler Santos. They're lucky that Santos is out of the fight and that you have a big name taking it on short notice. I'm still going to back my girl in Blanchfield here, but as far as DFS, I, I'm going to get to a ton of this. I might even stack it in a couple, truthfully. It's, this is basically like a 55-45 split for me for DFS lineups. I will lean towards the grappler, but Jessica Andrade is going to be a darling that I'm going to get to plenty. And, uh, you know, the ownership shows that everybody's in agreement that this is a must-roster fight. Um, I'm not going to get too different from the field. I'm probably going to be just about where they're at. But as far as picking the fight, I have to pick Blanchfield just because I, I believe in her long-term. And hopefully she can put something sneaky together, catch Andrade in a transition, put her on her back, um, or, or maybe just grind her out for, for 25 minutes. I mean, that is definitely a possibility. So regardless, you need this fight. Pick a side. Make sure that you make a group over on stochastic.fantasycruncher.com and uh, get get to either side of this fight. And, of course, speaking uh, speaking of stochastic, if you go into the YouTube description or the show notes, if you're listening to this on a podcasting platform, stochastic does have an offer for the Fight HQ listeners. So if you uh, take advantage of that uh, promo they have going on right now, well, that helps out me and Pete. So we appreciate uh, I do know people have been clicking that link. And so if you go through and, and take advantage of that offer, it does help myself and Pete out. You know, you're talking about the aspect there of the takedown aspect. And I know a lot of people are going to point to her matchup, speaking of her and yep. Jessica Andrade against Valentina Shevchenko, where she got seven takedowns. But if you look throughout her UFC run, she has done a fairly good job of being able to stop the takedowns. Let's not, we have to remember her last fight against uh, Lauren Murphy. She stopped 15 takedowns in a three minute fight. But like you, if this thing hits the fourth or fifth round, if we happen to get there, my, my general thought is I think we don't get there. Um, you, you do have to favor Aaron Blanchfield uh, in, in terms of this, but look, I, I think that you have to get to both sides of this one. You know, if you're you're playing multi-entries, I mean, if you're you're a single-entry player, I mean, I think you got to have either one of these, and, and the ownership is going to be high on both of these uh, both of these 
fighters. Now, when we look at the prop bet side of the equation here, Pete, uh, you know, looking at the fight does not go the distance plus 165 or fight goes the distance plus 165. Really don't like that one. But uh, when you start looking at to me, I think you got to look at the inside the distance props on this one. Jessica Andrade plus 110, Aaron Blanchfield plus 330. Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree with you. Um, you know, my, my counter to everything that Jessica Andrade has done throughout her UFC tenure is she's fought a ton of people and big, big, you know, profile names and better MMA fighters than Blanchfield at this moment. But she has not she has not faced a better grappler than Blanchfield. Um, this is MMA, and if Blanchfield doesn't start to get takedowns, it's going to get ugly quickly. Um, but if it does hit the mat, or even if Blanchfield gets slammed on her back, I think she's tricky enough to, to threaten Jessica Andrade in multiple ways. So um, I, I do like the inside the distance props you have mentioned. One way or another, I'd probably get to it. The, uh, the under four and a half sits at about, you know, minus 230. I think that's a relatively safe line, truthfully. Like, I, I think that's relatively safe. So I'm okay with getting to that. Um, I, I'm excited to see this fight, truthfully. I, like, I, I can't wait to see, you know, the improvements that Blanchfield has made in her game. If she goes out there and, and starts to pick apart Jessica Andrade on the feet, like, Rest of the division, watch out. You you guys are in for a long, long road ahead with Blanchfield just at the top of the mountain. Appreciate all the comments that are, that are coming in here. Some of the comments I'll mention here uh, says a big fan of Blanchfield, but she is going to get torched. Unfortunately, I would not say she's going to get torched. Um, I, I definitely think she's going to have to survive. You know that that early onslaught there. Um, TJ too appreciates you not just checking out the show here on YouTube, but checking it over out. On Spotify, uh, Peter, uh, ownership is high. Let's just let's just say that it is high. Uh, if you want to get contrarian, you know, getting away from this fight would be a way to get leverage there on the field. And uh, Core, appreciate you. You're able to finally be able to check us out here live on YouTube. Of course, be sure to smash that thumbs up button. Uh, mention some other props, and I'll get your take on it. Uh, Andras TKO TKO KO plus one thirty. Uh, Blanchfield via TKO KO plus eight hundred. Uh, win by submission plus seven hundred for Andraj plus four fifty for Blanchfield. If you think this thing's going to go twenty five minutes, you got uh, some juicy numbers over there. Andraj plus six fifty and plus two seventy five for Aaron Blanchfield. Yeah, I might throw some small money on that. Truthfully, um, I think the likelihood is that it ends under four and a half, but oftentimes we see prospects go up against a staple within a division, and it's a very even contest. Uh, the the one thing is that there's uh, <clears throat> a significant advantage for Andrade on the feet, and I would say a decently significant advantage for Blanchfield on the mat jujitsu-wise. Andrade is, is really, really powerful, and she likes to slam her way out of attempts, but if you go back, even if you look at like the Claudia Gadelia fight, like Claudia Gadelia is a, a phenomenal grappler, and early on, she was hitting takedowns de- at a decent clip. Um, that was some time ago, but I, I just see where Blanchfield's attempts, she, she likes to pin her opponents against the cage, get double unders, pull them off the cage so they think that they're they're reversing position, and then she really goes for an inside trip. So I think that's going to be a tool against a smaller frame, Andrade. Let's move over to the co-main event. We've got a battle of a fighter who's moving down to his natural weight cast of 205 pounds. Zach Paga taking on Jordan Wright here. Uh, Zach is a minus 280 betting favorite, plus 234 Jordan Wright over on the DFS side of the equation on DK. 9,200 for Zach, 7,000 for Jordan, and 20 and 12 respectively over there on FanDuel. And uh, this is a, a fight that me and Pete were talking a little bit before 
the show start here. The one thing about Zach is, I mean, I think you have to take his final fight on the ultimate fighter a little bit with a grain of salt here because he was stepping up in a weight class on the ultimate fighter. I had people leading in that season told me they felt Zach was the favorite in this one. Jordan Wright is a guy that it's tough to trust him, Pete. Oh, damn near impossible to trust him. But, um, you know, I can't trust either fighter at their current lines. Uh, Zach Palga, a guy that I thought was going to get it done against Mo Usman and, uh, was doing fine until he got hit with a big shot and completely flatlined. And now he's coming back from that and sitting at almost a, a three to one favorite um, against a guy who is extremely dangerous in rounds one and early round two. Um, you know, Jordan Wright, when he goes out there and he throws caution to the wind, he can find a quick early finish, but at the same time, he's super volatile. So uh, I think everybody's going to be attracted to the under one and a half here that sits at minus 200 the way that i currently line this fight is more of like a a two to one or minus 180 so i do think that there is some value on jordan wright and uh, some value value on jordan wright's salary just slightly so um as far as gpps i kind of circled this fight i don't trust either fighter like we have jordan wright with six ufc fights and we have Zach Palga with one. Zach Palga had experience on the Ultimate Fighter for sure, but it still is a little bit different when you're fighting guys like Ike Villanueva, who's not good, uh, Joaquin Buckley, Jamie Pickett, Bruno Silva, Mark Andre Barrio, and Dusko Todorovic. On paper, you could actually look at this fight and say that this is a step down in competition for Jordan Wright going up against Zach Palga. Now, people were pretty high on Zach Palga on the Ultimate Fighter to win the whole thing and uh, look like he was one of the best fighters out there fighting up a weight class. Now returning to a smaller weight class where he could possibly find form. There are some adjustments that's going to, that are going to be necessary in order to fight at a lower weight class. Going to have to react to guys that are a little bit quicker, um, throw at a higher number. You know, you, you can't get away with the heavyweight volume at the light heavyweight division. So, Jason... We also have going down Narrative Street and, uh, you know, our condolences to Jordan Wright. It seems like Jordan Wright's mom just passed away. And uh, that could do one of two things for you. And I always bring up uh, Mark Hominick when he lost his coach like the week of the fight. He went out there and tried to blitz his opponent, which was the Korean zombie, I believe, at that time. And I believe the Korean zombie just completely, you know, took him out. And I think in, in less than a minute, stepped back, hit him with a straight right hand and you know, that was all she wrote. So if you go out there completely emotional, you know, and Jordan Wright is pretty violent in his, in his own right, that could make him even more volatile than before. Um, or it could hone his focus and make him a little bit more efficient, possibly try to fight smarter. It seemed like he wanted to fight smarter against Dusko Todorovic and Marc-Andre Barriel. So I never thought I'd do this, but I'm going to be uh, – thinking that there's value on Jordan Wright, man. I, I know that he's just super susceptible to getting knocked out, leaves the chin up in the air. Um, I, I, I'm actually going to just lean towards the value of Jordan Wright. I'm circling this fight, but uh, I, I think it's going to be a pretty ugly option either way. And, you know, because I like a 9,000 fighter better than Zach Palga, I'm, I'm willing to take a shot on an early finisher in Jordan Wright. 
Let me mention a couple of questions that have come in about this matchup. First, over over our Discord channel, totally free to join right there in, in the uh, YouTube description and the show notes. You can join our Discord channel. This comes from Matt. He says, what do you think about lead jabs to the body? Because Paga will be throwing those garbage shots and about to get KO'd off, off that against a good striker. What I mean, I guess, does that mean against a Muhammad striker? Yeah, I mean, so what I would say, right, is that Mo Usman's hands caught Zach Paga off guard because Paga was probably anticipating a takedown. And wrestlers have that edge over a lot of strikers where they make you bite either feints and fakes because you don't know when a takedown's coming. And next thing you know, an overhand or you know a, a wild, ugly left hook is coming from nowhere. So, um, you know, I, I think it was more about just you know not expecting the unexpected. Um, as far as striker versus striker in this matchup, the one difference that I will have to say is that Jordan Wright has excellent Muay Thai, excellent Muay Thai. Like his hands into legs, into his knees and elbows it w- is what would make him different than Zach Pago, who's predominantly a, you know, a puncher. So um, I, I think that, you know, mixing up the attack, bouncing in that karate stance, staying at range is a little interesting. And, you know, we, we like to take crazy shots. It's a it's a terrible card, anyways, right? Like, I if you if you're making me pick one side or the other, I'm just gonna find slight value in you know Jordan Wright. But I would rather just pass on the whole fight. Unfortunately, we can't do that for DFS. But what we can do is for betting, just locate ridiculous lines that probably aren't going to hit, but every now and then they do. And uh, how about this? I know it's never happened in this career, but. Maybe Jordan Wright just kind of calms down and puts together a, an efficient fight. Imagine if he won a decision plus sixteen hundred. The man's really never been outside of round two, so but plus sixteen hundred is a very large number. That's you know, and at any point and at some point you are going to go the full distance. So uh, that just seems ridiculous to me. Yeah, I mean, looking over at the prop side of this one, to me, like if you're looking to play a prop bet on Jordan Wright, I think the one that to me, I mean, obviously great value on on that 16 to 1 win via decision, but the plus 275 inside the distance is to me is the one that sticks out to me. Uh, His other props win via TKO KO plus 350, sub plus 900. And then you mentioned about winning by decision for 16 plus 1600. Yeah, I mean, I I think that his best path to victory is. uh, you know, by, by mixing together some shots and testing that chin of Zach Pauga. So probably the plus 350 for Jordan Wright is the most efficient line, I know, in regards to him. Um, instead of taking just, a you know, an early shot on him, you could also start targeting some round one props because right in round, round one is plus 450, but you know how it is. Sometimes they're just about to finish the fight, and next thing you know, the round ends. So. Um, I would pivot to right wins by TKO KO sitting at plus 350 if I had to pick a prop for that fight. Uh, Joe over in a YouTube chat saying Paga could put right on takedown city if he uses it. Would you agree with that? Now, we saw Jordan use a little bit of wrestling in his last fight, though. I don't think Jordan Wright's wrestling is good, so I wouldn't necessarily disagree with it. I just don't think that Zach Paga likes to wrestle all that much. Um, he can. I, I, I just, man. It's crazy what Jordan Wright does. He he's like such a round one hero, and he'll attempt takedowns. And we saw him do that, you know, against Mark Andre Barrio. and went two of four in the takedown department, three of five against Dusko Todorovic. Defended four of them and hit the second round, and then he got absolutely destroyed in round two. 
but early on, man, he was doing just fine. And I think that Dusko is a dangerous and volatile fighter in his own right. But, you know, with the correct game plan and, and, and with the the motivation behind losing his mom, I'm just interested to see how this fight goes. Uh, Sam over in Discord says, I got to stop playing Jordan Wright in DFS, man. Unfortunately, Sam, I got to tell you, I think this is one of these fights that you, you probably have to target just in terms of the, the volatility here. Uh, looking at the prop best for Zach, uh, minus 175 went inside the distance, minus 165 yeah. to win via TKO KO, plus 1,200 to win via submission, uh, f- plus 550 to win via decision, and the fight goes the distance, plus 400. Yeah, I mean, the likelihood, and I, I mentioned the plus 1,600. I just think plus 1,600 on most fighters is absurd uh, for it to go 15 minutes. You know, we, we go 15 minutes all the time in training. Um, the likelihood is that one of these guys are getting finished, and it's probably Jordan Wright. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's okay to take little small money bets on, on some of these large numbers, and uh, and they pay off every now and then. But uh I am surprised that Jordan Wright actually got another opportunity inside the UFC. I, I really thought it was over for him. You know, three fight losing streak, Bruno Silva, Marc-Andre Berrio, Dusko to uh, Todorovic. It had to be like accepting that fight with Bruno Silva and doing decently well, kind of like, you know, got him a little bit more leverage and a little bit more leeway within the, within the matchmakers minds. I think it's also his fighting style is a fighting style that the UFC does care to uh, like. Uh, let's move over to the next one. We got a heavyweight matchup, Jamal versus Parisian. Uh, Jamal is a minus 260 betting favorite, plus 210 for Parisian. Uh, Jamal, 9000 on DK, $17 on FanDuel. Parisian, 7200 on DK, $14 on FanDuel. Josh Parisian did talk about yesterday about the health issues that he had, um, and uh, he really thought that uh, he was going to call it a career. His, uh, his girlfriend's a lawyer, so... So uh, money is not an issue. So, uh, but uh, he decided that uh, he got on some medication to take care of it. And it's just the love of it. Uh, this is heavyweight MMA though. Uh, I'm always scared when we're talking about, you know, yeah. you know, the, the back half of the UFC heavyweight division, when we're talking about a 9,000 betting favorite. I don't like this fight at all, man. And targeting an underdog and heavyweight MMA is it tends to work out similar to targeting an underdog and women's MMA tends to work out. You know, like I, I see on paper, it makes me want to pick Josh Parisian. I have to be honest, but then like the more I think about him, it's like, I don't believe he's good. It's almost like he's lucky. Like, um, I, I can go back and I look at a lot of his career. He's, he's so fluky, so fluky. Parker Porter put it on him. Um, and he didn't look like he belonged in there at all. He went one of seven in the takedown apartment against Roki Martinez and uh, won a split decision, scoring 78. Dantel Mays, um, you know, knocked him out in the third round, put together a solid performance against Alain Badeau, but that was not that was not good early. Um, I actually think, like, again, another fighter I don't trust in Josh Parisian, but because of the weight class and because of his experience in the UFC so far, I'm going to get to him. Um, if, if a big guy like that gets on top of you, it can be, it can be rough. I don't think Jamal Pogues is good though. I don't think either one of these guys are good. Like I have to tell you, like I, I, this looks like a regional, you know, regional fight under the UFC banner. I, I think there's slight value on Josh Parisian, but so many unknowns surrounding Jamal Pogues. Like I, I wasn't impressed with his film all that much. 
I think that he has a sneaky path just because of his unknowns um, and, you know, decent grappling. But, I mean, I just don't – I don't know how he's going to fare over 15 minutes against a better competitor. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it seems like a ton of ownership for a guy that I don't necessarily trust. And same with Josh Parisian. So I might pass on the fight more often than not, but I, I still will lean Jamal Pokes gets it done. I just can't stand this fight. Like, I truthfully can't stand it. Joe brings up a great point. Uh, says fight kind of feels like a contender series or tough type of matchup. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, it's this is the lower half of the UFC heavyweight division, and we'll see. Can Jamal, you know, maybe show us something that we haven't seen to his point? Uh, now, looking over the betting side of this one, when we're looking at the prop bets uh, inside the distance. Jamal plus one fifty, plus five hundred for Parisian. Uh, win via TKO KO plus two twenty five for Jamal, plus five fifty for Josh. Uh, win via submission plus five fifty for Jamal, plus two thousand for Josh. Uh, fight does not fight goes the distance. I thought this one was kind of an interesting one. Minus one fifteen. Mm. I thought that was kind of a, an interesting number there. Um, and wins via decision plus one fifty for Jamal and plus four fifty for Josh. That plus four fifty for Josh winning via decision is kind of a. I think is a is a is a one that I kind of like a little bit here. Yeah, I, I don't hate it at all. And you know, I, I do like to see if Vegas agrees with my assessment sometimes where. You know, it seems like an ugly heavyweight gas fest that could go 15 minutes. And that's kind of like what I'm projecting here. And fight goes to decision minus 115, doesn't go to decision minus 115. So essentially even, and, um, you know, and then you look at the the props to win the decision and you got Pogues plus 150 and Parisian plus 450. You know, it, it, it doesn't take a lot to, to impress some judges and and get a terrible decision in your favor so uh, i don't hate that at all i think that there's some value on that um i'm gonna pick pogues here but i, I think the best bet here is change the channel at minus five thousand, and that's that's a bet that i'm gonna be uh i'm gonna be targeting a ton for this fight oh that's too funny too funny uh, let's move over next up we got william knight taking on marcin Pracnial. uh this was a matchup that was supposed to take place back in november william knight pulled out of that one so it's now happening here more on that here in a moment uh william knight a slight betting favor in this one minus 120 plus 100 for Pracnial. uh william 8200 on dk 8000 for marcin $16 for uh william on fanduel $15 for Pracnial. um and uh the thing that i found kind of very interesting about this was during media day pete marcin Pracnial is asked about hey you know when this fight got canceled the first time you decide to wait for william knight to be ready and uh to paraphrase what he said he goes yeah i wanted this fight Pete, when I hear a fighter say that, that jumps out to me. Fair enough. I mean, um, I, I think it could be, you know, it's also like you, you you put a whole training camp together for a guy. You want to see if your strategy and everything is going to come to fruition and that you're going to be effective with everything you thought. And you don't want that preparation to go to waste. And, you know, it's kind of like unfinished business. Never mind if it got personal or not. I don't know if it did. But uh, it could be like a, a stylistic matchup that he he does like. I think on paper, you know, I'm I got to be honest. I'm very surprised that William Knight has had success in UFC because I was not a big backer, even though he is from Connecticut. Um, but I mean, he started putting together some crazy finishes, and you know, it was just like okay, like 
know, he, he knocked out Fabio Chirot, got a decision over Alonzo Menafield. This is the same guy that got a decision over Alonzo Menafield, who absolutely destroyed Jim Crew the other week. So, uh, you know, and then went the distance with Maxine Grishin and just most recently got knocked out against Devin Clark. I don't re- I, I don't believe in Marcin Pracnio here. Like, I, I just don't. It's the 8,200-8,000 fight, and I am pretty bad historically at this fight. Um, for whatever reason, it feels like when I go light on one of these guys, I, I should have done the opposite. I actually think I might be right on this one, though, and that the the power of William Knight could be the difference maker, but also the takedowns. Like, we saw William Knight get three takedowns over Maxime Grishin. I think Maxime Grishin's much better than Marcin Pracnio. Um, he went three of nine and was able to have, you know, some level of control. I mean, two and a half minutes of control, but a takedown around can influence the judges a lot. Getting a um, decision win over Alonzo Menafield aged pretty damn well. And he was almost about to finish Alonzo Menafield. He hits really, really hard, scoring four of five takedowns against Alexa Kamer, who at one point was viewed as like, I don't know, like Stipe Miocic's main sparring partner. You know how those things go. Not everybody is Ryan Bader's sparring partner. Um, I forget his name. You know it all the time. Sullivan Cauley, right? So not everybody's Sullivan Cauley, but I, I think that it's going to be a William Knight play for me. Um, and if the, the lineups that I don't get aggressive on with William Knight, I am going to get aggressive with Marcin Pracnio because William Knight's just like some of my heavyweights and light heavyweights. He's always at a physical disadvantage. He's massive, has so much muscle, but as far as range or as far as far as like length and height, he's always going to be at a disadvantage. So he needs to work his way towards the inside, make it ugly, throw bombs, and get to, you know put his wrestling shoes on if he really wants to have success here and test that chin of Marcin Pracnio because at range, Pracnio's hands and legs are going to uh, pose some problems for William Knight with his low volume. So I made a group making sure I got to this fight. Obviously, I, you know, hit the thumbs up a little bit more for William Knight. Wanted him to be, you know, in more of my lineups than Marcin Pracnio. But to me, this does seem like it's going to be a part of the optimal lineup. William Knight actually only had a one-inch uh, reach disadvantage yeah. in this matchup. While he's 5'10", 6'3", for Marcin Pracnio. Kind of a, a little bit of a weird one there. Uh, looking over the prop side of this equation here, inside the distance, William plus 140, plus 225. For Pracnio, uh, win via TKOKO plus 150, uh, plus 240, uh, plus 150 for, for William, plus 240 for Marcin. Uh, win via submission, yeah, don't expect this to happen. Uh, William Knight plus 1400, Marcin Pracnio plus 2000. Fight goes the distance plus 165. Wins via decision plus 450 for William Knight, plus 350 for Marcin Pracnio. Pete, that just sits there and tells me Vegas believes this thing is not going the distance. Yeah, then that's why I want to put it a part of my lineup. Like as long as like there's it's not a no contest from like an eye poke or something, I, I think that I should be okay by making sure I get to this fight. Um, small portion of my lineups, I did uncheck both of them just in case it's an ugly decision. But that would mean that William Knight would have to be able to survive the kicks of Marcin Pracnio, and Pracnio's chin would have to you know hold up. I mean, who knows how William Knight's chin is after coming off that knockout loss to to Devin Clark. So we'll have to see when there, whenever there's unknowns, I tend to smash it for, for GPPs. And as far as betting, I, I tend to get a little bit more precise. 
And, and something to kind of mentioned when we're talking about game theory, and this is something we've, we've talked about the past couple episodes of, you know, when you're developing your lineups, you might want to look at somebody, not necessarily with this fight, but obviously you know, later on the card, of somebody who is, you know, under 7,200 that could end up optimal. And last week, that did happen. The crazy thing about last week, you mentioned about Jimmy Crute. This is what kind of got me going along these lines. Jimmy Crute, one tough SOB. Let's just say that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that dude can take a punch. There, there's no doubt about it. Um, but the last week was a very rare week where the optimal lineup, Pete, didn't even hit 600 points. Weird. Weird week, man. I wish I was able to watch it. And uh, was Volk a part of the optimal? I believe he yeah, was. Right? Yeah, he Vol- like yeah it was. Uh, yeah, the optimal 581.92. I'm looking at the Haymaker contest from last week. Uh, it was Volk, Yair Rodriguez, Jack Della Maddalena, Justin Taffa, Josh Kulabau, and Gleitzen Rodriguez. 8,200-8,000 fight ruins lineups every week. I mean, Kulabau leaking from the nose. All of a sudden, Bogdasarian hits the mat. He hops on his neck, submits him, and... He kind of, you know, at that salary point, not breaks the slate, but you needed him. You know what I mean? Like you needed him. So, uh, you know, it was a weird week. I wish I was able to watch it. But uh, my boy, Jack Della Maddalena, what I tell you, he is phenomenal. Phenomenal. I can't wait to watch him again. Yeah, I was 15 points off the optimal. That was. Uh, was- Were you? Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, it was one of those things of kind of as we got towards the main event. Because when we got to the main event, co-main event, like I had like like six, seven lineups. They were all yeah. live. And so, like, I'm literally, as I'm watching the fights, I'm literally going through, okay, who should I really, who do I got a realistic shot here? Who do I really need? And then I, I realized, I was like, all right, go Yair, go Volk. I, I come to that realization. I'm like, that's who I needed to go out there. And uh, uh, that, that main event was great. Uh, I, I had 3-2 Islam. I, I thought. Uh, yeah, I think 3-2 is how it should have been. Yeah. You know, Not 4-1. Uh, I don't see 4-1. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, to me, it comes down to how you score the second and the third round. I think that's really where the key rounds uh, come in at. Mm-hmm. So, um, as I unplug my headphones there. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't, you know, I didn't really, like, it was interesting. I didn't see really the controversy that people had that they thought of Volk one, but, yeah, you know, that, that's MMA for you. I was working, but, I mean, I was, I mean, because a lot of people just, it's weird. I, I want to go back and actually watch it, but from, like, my quick at work watching, I said 3-2. 3-2 for Islam, but I thought it was way more impressive that Volk, I thought it was more impressive that Volk did that than Islam. I think it made, you know, Islam look human. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's like, yeah, Volk's phenomenal, but this is still up a weight class, man. But you know what I appreciate about it, and I think someone like yourself would probably appreciate this too, is I thought Mahachev was being very patient in what he was doing. He wasn't rushing mm-hmm. anything. Like when he got to the ground, like he wasn't trying to, you know, he was working the position before going for submission. Like to me, and that's what I thought that a lot of people just didn't talk about last week is the fact of, I thought we saw a very patient Mahachev. I mean, look, we learned a lot about Volk, no question about it. But I, I just thought that from a, a, working everything, working the entire game. I thought Mahachev, even though he got, I mean, look, he got busted up in that fifth round. If that, if that knockdown happens with say three minutes ago, I don't think Islam Mahachev is UFC lightweight champion right now. Yeah, very well could have, you know, I, I don't really want to see it again. <laughs> I just don't like, I, I want to see, Oh, we will. Um, we will. We will. I want to see, I know, but I don't want to see it right now. I want to see Volk against Yair. I think that's the fight to make. Well, I mean, I, I think, I think Volk kind of made it known that's what he wants to do, but I also kind of get the, the sense of it that, uh, I think he's at that, that point of his life. And I mean, you can relate to this. 
he doesn't want to cut the 45. Yeah. Yeah, you're never yeah, seeing 146 I mean, I, ever again in your life. No, that ship has sailed, bro. <laughs> that ship has sailed. So I don't blame him for that at all. And I thought that he looked pretty damn good. But he's another fighter, right? Like kind of like going back to where we were about, you know, talking about stature. William Knight is always at a physical, you know, disadvantage from height and range. Volk was the same way for lightweight. Like he's just a smaller guy. He may be stocky enough to pull it together, but he's always going to have to work his way inside. And, you know, that's what Knight's going to have to do against Pracnio. Let's move over to the next matchup. And this is probably my second favorite fight on this card. Alexander Hernandez stepping up here on short notes, take on Jim Miller. Alexander Hernandez, a minus 235 betting favorite, plus 190 for Jim Miller over there on DK. 8,900 for Alex, 7,300 for Jim, 18 and 11 respectively over there on the FanDuel side of the equation. And, you know, Alex Hernandez, you know, he talked about this week of he likes taking the short notice fight because he says he was like, look, I overanalyze everything about the fight. And, and Alex is one of these guys where I think we've seen the potential. Um, if you did not see his comment about um, the issues he had about um, training to fight 145 pounds, these things happen in MMA press conferences, bro. That's all I got to no, say. No, I got to I gotta go watch it, but go back and watch it. Let, let's just say he uh, he spoke about some things in the morning not working. I don't even want to know. So I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna watch it myself. When, uh, when you when you watch it, you're gonna go, oh yeah. I, I I saw the clip on Instagram, and I was just like, he just did not say that. He's such an odd character. He really is, and for a guy with such terrible cardio. It's kind of ironic that he enjoys taking fights on short notice. It's just so weird to me, right? Like round one, he looks like he's top 15. Round two and round three, he looks like he is fighting regional regional talent and struggling. Like he, he just does not look the same. Now, granted, it's against tough, tough guys. Billy Quarantillo, Hanato Moicano, uh, Tiago Moises, Drew Dober, Cowboy Cerrone, Trinaldo, like – all these guys are notable names and staples within a division. But like when you debut and you beat Benil Dariush in round one, you're kind of like off to the races. There's no, there's no pacing yourself within the division. It's like, Holy moly. Who's this kid that came out of left field? Because he seems like a pretty, pretty big prospect within the division. You know, he, he, he really just drops the ball a lot. And you kind of on the flip side, the opposite end, you look at a guy who is, you know, had a career resurgence in Jim Miller and on a three-fight win streak over Eric Gonzalez, Nicholas Mota, and Donald Cerrone, all second-round victories, scoring 103, 188. And our listeners have it right. I want to go Miller, but I want all the Hernandez, Doug Chap says. Mr. Grapefruit says, how can you pick against Miller? And then, you know, this is a fighter in Jim Miller who struggled as well by with Lyme disease and was also known as a cardio liability. I want to get to Jim Miller a lot. He's probably going to be one of my most aggressive underdogs, but it's this fight in general. Like I, I think that Alexander Hernandez is going to, to pick up a victory over Jim Miller. I just, I, I think that Hernandez will put it together, whether it's in round one or round two. Um, and he's wise enough to stay out of the jujitsu harm that Miller can possibly impose. And he's younger. So eventually Jim Miller is going to face a guy that, you know, is going to have his number. I'm picking Hernandez here as far as like straight up pick, but for GPPs, how the heck can you, how could you ever uncheck Jim Miller 
or not get to him. This is like one of the fights I'm prioritizing when I'm crunching my lineups and, and making lineups over on fantasycruncher.com. So I can see both both tails of the fight. You know, Jim Miller gassing after round one, looking good early, and Hernandez just being younger is able to put it together. And I can also see the reverse happening of Hernandez just having a cardio collapse and Jim Miller landing a big left hand followed by a guillotine choke, and that's all she wrote. So I'm going to be circling this fight, and I hate this card this week, but uh, I think the best you know way to, to treat this fight is by getting to both sides. You mentioned about that winning streak that Jim Miller has been on. He is seeking his first four-fight winning streak since 2011. Think about That's this. Crazy, man. Jim Miller has been in the UFC since 2008, and his goal is to be the only fighter to fight at UFC 100, UFC 200, and oh. UFC 300. That's sick. That is so cool. Yeah, man, I, I would just keep hanging around, keep giving him the – the guys that it's a little too much too soon. And uh, whenever there's fighters with question marks, let's see if Jim Miller can answer those questions. And, uh, you know, he's answered them thus far. So um, I'll be surprised to see, you know, and it's weird too, because like Alexander Hernandez always looks like he's in phenomenal shape. So I don't know what it is. If it's a pacing issue, if it's a mental thing, um, if he's just always dominant in training. And then when he's actually met with resistance under the lights, he just kind of like panics could be like anxiety related. I don't know what it is, Jason, but uh, I don't think you can trust these, either one of these guys, but I think it has high scoring vibes. Yeah, when we look over the prop bets uh, side of the equation on this one, uh, inside the distance, uh, Alex plus 100, Jim plus 300, win via TKO KO plus 110 for Alex plus 900 for Jim, uh, wins via submission plus 1600 for uh, Alex plus 400 for Miller, fight goes the distance plus 180, wins via decision, uh, Alex plus 300, and plus 700 for Jim Miller. But like, if I was going to look at potential prop bets for Jim Miller in this one, I think I'm looking at Miller wins round two or wins round three. Miller wins round two plus 900. Miller wins round three plus 1600. Yeah, I, I don't hate those at all. Um, you know, we've seen both fighters kind of panic when things don't go their way. So it's a matter of, you know, who imposes the correct game plan and who does the, the correct thing first. I think the safest is probably looking at the under two and a half. Uh, I'll, I'll take that back. That's at minus 185. I probably just go fight doesn't go to decision at minus 250. I think eventually somebody's cardio is going to be non-existent and somebody's going to get their hand raised from a panic tap or from, you know, in route to a TKO. So, uh, yeah, give me that fight doesn't go to decision at minus 250 as the safe play. But, you know, sit back and just enjoy this fight because I do think that it's going to be fireworks. Let's move over to our next matchup. We got Nazim and Elder. Uh, Nazim, a minus 200 betting favorite, plus 170 for Elder. Over on DK, 8600 for Nazim. He's $16 on FanDuel. And for Elder, 7600 on DK, $14 on FanDuel. Pete, what's your take? My take is uh, another another time where you can't trust either guy. I mean, Nazim Sadikov, his, uh he's typically a slower-paced fighter. He likes to strike a lot. And sometimes it takes him a little bit to get going in this contender series fight. Um, he started to put it together. He has made some, some mistakes when it does hit the mat. I do notice some like, Ooh, that's a mistake. That's a mistake. And that's kind of interesting for, you know, to me, um, you know, when it's kind of like elementary, what he's making mistakes on, on the feet though, when he decides to push the gas pedal, 
he does look good. He slips the punches great. He digs to the body. He throws powerful, powerful combinations. So the way I'm looking at this fight is that Nazim Sadikov has KO upside. And we like KO upside fighters for DraftKings, um, more so on FanDuel. But we do like Nazim Sadikov for his, his KO upside. The issue, though, is with the the mistakes that I'm seeing, I do think that somebody who is a superior wrestler can actually hold him down. And Evan Elder, a guy who debuted a weight class higher against Preston Parsons at welterweight, didn't really have all that much success. Um, and Parsons was the better grappler in that situation. Evan Elder's a pretty talented wrestler. And training at Sanford MMA will prepare you for a matchup against Nazim Sadikov, who's out of Longo and Weidman, Sarah Longo out in uh, out in Long Island. So this is going to be a very pivotal fight, but I, I'm desperate for some underdogs, and I'll be damned if I let an underdog with some wrestling upside pass me by. If you go back and you look like Evan Elder and regionally, he, he's able to hit takedowns uh, pretty well. He's really refined his striking since all the work at Sanford MMA with Henry Hooft. I don't want him to strike, though. If he strikes, the power that Nazim Sadikov possesses could actually put his lights out. And I'm being serious because Nazim really, really counters well. And I love counterfighters. Um, but I, I, I will get to Evan Elder a little bit. And I'm going to be you know, leaning in his direction just because of the wrestling advantage. I think it'll be close on the feet. Um, but you can't let Nazim you know, start to get any momentum. Or else it's really just a vicious onslaught on the feet. So... Give me Evan Elder here as an underdog with takedown upside. That's his way and path to victory. If he strikes, he's getting knocked out. So give me Evan Elder. And Joe in the chat brings up the great point. The fact of Evan Elder back as natural weight class of 155 pounds took that short notice fight on one week's notice to get into the UFC. Now looking over the prop bets on this one, uh, inside the distance, Nazim plus 165, Evan plus 350, uh, win via TKO, KO plus 215 for Nazim plus 400 for Elder, uh, wins via submission, uh, 7-1 to one plus 700 for Nazim plus 1400 for Evan Elder. Uh, fight goes a distance plus 100 and wins via decision plus 200 for Nazim plus 400 for Elder. Yeah, so for me, the the ways that I would kind of bet this fight outside of money line would be Sadikov by TKO KO sitting at plus 215. I think that's uh, his best path to victory is by landing some strikes en route to a TKO KO finish. Even though Elder has been proven to be tough, uh, do you know when you pair two tough guys together, it's going to happen eventually. But the the side that that has some value and how I think the wrestling could actually make things tricky is Evan Elder winning by decision sitting there at plus 400. Like, I just think, like, the wrestling can win rounds and win minutes and control the fight. So Elder wins via decision sitting there at plus 400. It's worth a sprinkle, and that's something I'll probably target. Let's move over to our next matchup here, Pete, and that is a are you ready for the Bueno Bueno Silva 5-1 to one betting favorite taking on Lena Landsberg oh, plus 380. Uh, Silva, $9,500 on DK, $22 over on FanDuel. Uh, Lena Landsberg, she is $6,700 on DK, $9 on FanDuel. You know, I mentioned about our game theory that we talked about, Pete, here on the show of trying to find someone who may lose but could end up optimal. Do you want to potentially yep. go that route with Lena Landsberg? I'm glad you said that because I was really going to bring that up. Uh, Lena Landsberg's fought some legitimate competition, right? And when you fight legitimate competition and it's very tough to finish you, 
She was finished by Chris Cyborg. Big deal. Finished by Aspen Ladd. Aspen Ladd, you know, when she was at the top of her UFC game, she was really, really dominant with the ground and pound. Outside of that, gone the distance with all of these fighters, Pudulova, Mazzani, Kunitskaya, Evinger, Chasson, McCann, uh, Kianzad, Carol Hosa. Like, the past three fighters and Mc, uh, McMahon, not McCann, McMahon, Kianzad, and Carol Hosa, I think that's pretty damn impressive. I do believe that Myra Buena Silva um, has the higher finishing upside here. She's a pretty talented submission fighter, um, starting to really learn that she has power in her hands as well. I'm interested to see when she's going to pick up her first knockout and get some knockdowns for us. She hasn't picked up any knockdowns inside the UFC, and she's been training a lot with her striking down at American Top Team. I think that she's clearly the A-side here. Father Time is undefeated. Lena Landsberg's in her 40s. Um, but still, Lena Landsberg, for, I don't know how she does it, but she's just so tough and durable. She's able to score 42 in a loss to Carol Hosa. 34 against Panny Kianzad. Those numbers probably aren't going to do it. But at 6,700, you don't really need much else. If you can get 50, 50 out of a loss, that's actually pretty damn good. So um, I, I think that there is room for her to pick up enough points in a loss if it gets stretched out. Not in love with Myra Bueno Silva's price tag, if I'm being honest. If you go back and you look at her entire career, Jillian Robertson, Morose, Borella, De La Rosa, Manon Fierro. Wu Yanan and Stephanie Egger. She hasn't eclipsed 95, 96 fantasy points once. So if she doesn't get over 110, she's not paying off 9,500. So she's probably the worst play on the slate. Um, unless like she's able to pick up multiple knockdowns, which she has been unable to at this point. But uh Myra Bueno Silva should get this done, but I'm still punting and getting to some Lena Landsberg just because. You know, mentioning about that thought process of could, you know, Silva show with the striking, you look at those prop bets. She's plus 500 to win by TKO KO, plus 200 to win by submission, plus 130 inside the distance. And on the other side, Leah Landsberg, she is 12 plus 1200 to win inside the distance, plus 1600 to win via TKO KO. Plus thirty five hundred to win via submission. Uh, she's plus five hundred to win via decision. Plus one ten Silva to win via decision. And fight goes a distance is minus one fifty. Yeah, I mean it's it's just so ugly, right? Like Myra Buena Silva to win by decision plus one hundred. You know you have Lena Landsberg who makes fights that shouldn't be close, makes them very close. So that kind of makes me look like yeah, well I'm not going to just go plus one hundred. Myra Buena Silva. I mean I guess I could. I would probably just pass on the fight in general, but if I'm trying to get a little crazy, maybe Silva to win by split or majority decision. That's it. That sits at plus six hundred. You know what I mean? Like stranger things have happened, but I, I think that Meyer Buena Silva is going to get this done. Um, but with low finishing equity, yeah, it's very tough for you to pay off that salary, especially if you're not a wrestler. Let's move over to our next match. we got four fights left here to break down before we get into our straight-up fight picks. you got Haskabov taking on Elmers, 8,300 for uh, Haskabov, 7,900 for Elmers. Uh, Elmers is a slight betting underdog in this one, plus 130, minus 155 here on the other side. Elmers is $15 and $16 for Haskabov. Pete, what's your thoughts? I mean, that's my thoughts. I mean, we got another... Uh, another unknown commodity here in Kusain Ashkabov. It's priced as a favorite against the guy in Jamal Emers, who's been proven to be a tough out. 
debuted against Giga Chikadze, lost a split decision. We've seen what Giga Chikadze has been able to do um, on the feet. He was doing decently well, uh, has a wrestling advantage over a decent amount of people, went two of six in that department. You know, you don't follow it up against Vince Cachero, went five of seven in the takedown department, scored 108. I think the wrestling is a sneaky, sneaky spot here against a guy who's been predominantly a bantamweight. On paper, it looks like Hussein is going to just completely destroy Jamal Emers. 23-0 and is great. Also, your career down at bantamweight against a guy 18-6. and So it's not like Jamal Emers is a guy with under 10 professional fights. He, he's pretty, pretty savvy and is a pretty decent vet. Getting a lot of work in at Team Alpha Male. You know, he's been doing a lot of small glove sparring. Saw Hussein Ashkabov hit some pads at American Top Team. You know, we, we, it's tough to see when you're going through their social medias, but I'm going to lean towards the underdog here. Just I, I don't like unknown commodities. Um, I'm not big into Jamal Emmers. He looked pretty damn good against Pat Sabatini um, until he got submitted. So how does he rebound after finally being healthy from that heel hook? We'll have to see. But I, I'm, I'm going to go with uh, Jamal Emmers here. I don't necessarily circle this fight and say this is a must-own, though. I, I kind of think that it's going to be a close fight, a close decision. Um, but if I have to say, you know, Ashkabov, usually the better wrestler in a lot of his matchups with some some tricky striking. But I wasn't overly impressed with the fight tape. So I, I'm naturally just going to be flocked to the underdog here in Jamal Emmers. Um, but again... I'm picking my spots, and this is not a confident pick here, but I'm going to be going with Jamal Emmers. You know, you got to mention the first fight in three years for Ashkabov. You know, that's got to be part of it. And I know a lot of people, they look at the record, 23-0, but a lot of people kind of yep. maybe have a, have a little bit of questions there. Looking over here at the prop bets, uh, Ashkabov plus 180 inside the distance, plus 500 via TKO KO, uh, plus 300 via submission, uh, and to win by a decision, plus 225. Fight goes a distance is plus 100. And for Jamal Emmers, uh, Emmers plus 300 inside the distance, plus 400 TKO KO, uh, win via sub, plus 1,000, win via decision, plus 350. Yeah, I think this fight's going over. I I, I really do. I mean, over two and a half sits at minus uh, 118. I don't hate that at all. If I want to start targeting a side via decision, I'm going to go with uh, Emers to win via decision at plus 350. But, I mean, at that point, you know, you don't want to leave out the fact that maybe Ashkabov, I was going to say has a poor weight cut, but this is a natural bantam weight. Um, but maybe, you know, the, the octagon jitters gets to him you know what I mean? Like that's a big deal. You know, you, you have an adrenaline dump. Mm-hmm. It could feel like you have a terrible weight cut. Next thing you know, you're gassed and it's round two. Um, so I'm going to go Jamal Emmers, probably just money line. Um, but I don't hate that decision prop at plus 350. Let's move over to a light heavyweight matchup between Philippe Leans and Ovin St. Prue. Philippe Leans is a betting favorite here. Uh, he is, let me switch over my tabs here on the, the spreadsheet. Uh, he is minus 225 plus 185 for OSP. Over there on the uh, DraftKings side of the equation, 8,800 for Leans, 7,400 for St. Prue, $17 and $13 respectively over there. On FanDuel, you know, I mentioned earlier in the show when, you know, Pete had asked me who were some of my most confident picks. And uh, look, I have been, I, I just have not liked what I've seen out of OSP over the past couple of years. That's why, to me, Philippe Leans may be one of my most confident picks on this slate. Man, I, I actually thought that Philippe Leans was 
you know, going to come into the UFC and just do work, you know, and losing a debut to Andre Orlovsky in a weird, slower paced heavyweight matchup. Okay. Lost in first round against a guy who is not known for finishes and Tanner Bozer, but had a small run of finding finishes and then dropping down a light heavyweight where I do think that he looks better physically, um, you know, against Marcin Pracnio. He was hitting Pracnio with some big, big shots. It looked like Pracnio was on his way out. But what I did like is his versatility here. He mixed in some takedowns. He went four of eleven in the takedown department, which I thought was a nice little, a nice little wrinkle to add to his game, especially if a round is close. Like I love putting that stamp on that round. OSP picking up a win, a split win over Mauricio Shogun Hua, scoring fifty-five. He threw hundred and twelve significant strikes. If I go back and I watch that film, he must have thrown a hundred front kicks. Because he doesn't let his hands go. Because if he let his hands go and he was offensive with his boxing, I think I would be more inclined to pick him because I think that he has weird power. He like he, he backpedals and then he flails a weird left hook and knocked out Shogun and knocked out Alonzo Menafield. If he connects, he's going to knock you out, even if it's ugly and it's like it shouldn't happen. He has enough power and weird range with his strikes to catch you from funky angles but he's not the better minute winner here and i gotta pick the better minute winner in philippe leans i hate it i I absolutely hate it and i'll tell you what osp is doing osp has knocked people out with a head kick in the past and you could kick people from a further range and you don't have to worry about getting punched in the face he does not seem like a guy that enjoys biting down on that mouthpiece and having to step into the phone booth range and trade punches so much rather he would front kick to the body 35 times in a row to eventually throw a head kick either to the liver, uh, throw a head kick to the head, or throw a round kick to the liver. Um, basically to make the, your opponent think that a front kick is coming and they reach for the front kick and you find that head kick. Easy finish. I, I just can't back him, man. I just can't. Uh, I, I think that you know the Von Flu, the, one of the most fluky submissions ever, but he pulled it off against everybody. Um, and low-volume fighter. With all that being said, uh, I'm going to go with Philippe Leans, but I, I hate the fight. I, I truthfully hate the fight, but I would agree with you that it does seem like Leans is a little bit more energized than OSP has been lately. And when you look at the prop bets on this one, Philippe Leans to win inside the distance plus 180, uh, win via TKO KO plus 240, wins via submission plus 700, uh, and then wins via decision plus 165. Fight to go distance is plus 100 on this one. On the OSP side of the equation, plus 330 win inside the distance, plus 550 to win via TKO KO. Plus seven hundred to win via submission. We all know he loves that. You know, I, yeah. we, we call it the uh, the the Von Saint Prue choke at this point. Uh, and then plus five fifty to win via decision. But uh, I mean, look, I, I think this is Fleet Wings all day. Yeah, I mean, I'm probably not going to get too cute. I have a friend of mine who likes to do so many prop bets, and then like, mm-hmm. I, I love him, Matt. I, I love you. I'm not making fun of you. I kind of am, but I, I have to share this because it's just fantastic. Because like he will do prop bets and he will get really, really like oddly specific. And we still make fun of him to today where it was like he bet on Tai Tuivasa to land a takedown. <laughs> so <laughs> so we, I, 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 I will never let him live that down. He was like, he just needs one. I'm like, dude, he's never landed a takedown. So uh, don't get too cute. Don't start doing two-e takedowns, okay? No two-e <laughs> takedowns. Uh, we don't need that. Just – for me, 
I'm just going to go minus 200, minus 215 for Philippe Lanes. Leave the, the two cute bets for some, some other fight, <laughs> uh, not this one. Look, a majority of fighters, if they get rocked, they might shoot for the takedown to kind of, you know, get their wits about them. Talk to Avas is like, no, man, I'm biting down this mouthpiece and, and I'm just going to start flinging punches. Yeah, so we changed his name in uh, in our group chat and in my phone, it's Tui Takedown. So uh, <laughs> he's never going to live that down. Don't do that, guys. No, do not do that one. Now, we're talking about... Uh, fighters that pete is very high on this week that is h.a oh, wow. fletcher who's a minus 270 betting favorite here 9100 on dk 18 dollars on FanDuel, and uh pete told me before the show this is one that he's high on this week yeah i'm pretty high on a.j fletcher and i always have been and uh you know what happens is like you you watch the fight film you watch fights and you're like you get behind a fighter and you believe in their skill set and then they underperform or they don't live up to expectations and then everybody's already off the bandwagon so you decide to hop off and then next thing you know the original fighter that you saw promise in actually you know shows up under the lights and you know a, a lot of people felt that way towards Hafiel uh, Fiziev you know and, and Hafiel Fiziev like got knocked out in his debut I believe it was a jump spinning back kick um and now look at him. He's a force to be reckoned with. And, you know, I'm not saying that AJ Fletcher is on the same, you know, wavelength that uh, Hafiel Fazeev is. But as far as like for me, when I break down fight film, I have a lot of faith and trust in what I see, you know, and uh, Fletcher passes the eye test. What doesn't pass the eye test is his cardio. And his cardio has proven to be, you know, a, a liability throughout his both of his fights. But the Matthew Semmelsberger one was a high-paced fight. Angelusa was a little bit less of a high-paced fight, and he was very close to finishing that as well. Uh, looked like Angelusa was on his way out. But Matthew Semmelsberger has actually turned out to be a very, very solid fighter within the UFC. And picking up a win against Jake Matthews, A.J. Fletcher did better than Jake Matthews did. And A.J. Fletcher had Matthew Semmelsberger you know, on the mat en route to – you know defending submissions and almost getting finished with a submission and some ground and pound. And I, I think that this kid is so talented on the feet. Um, but this is another situation where uh, if he gets hurt, he can resort to his grappling. And I think that he is so talented in the wrestling and jujitsu department that he can avoid Themba Garimbo's unique jujitsu skill set because Garimbo is a guy that outside, he kind of reminds me of uh you know, the, the PFL guy that I'm not too too high on who actually won the tournament. Forget his name. You know who I'm talking about. But, uh, yeah, very similar. Like long strikes, low volume, somehow does enough to win each round. Um, but if Themo Garimbo gets put on his back, he will start to hunt some submissions, which is good. AJ Fletcher, if he gets tired, could possibly get put into one, um, especially if he gets lackadaisical. Fletcher is going to get busted up. He's like Darren Elkins. He, he he gets busted up very, very easily. But I really think that this this fight, with all the chips in the center of the table, A.J. Fletcher is going to rise to the occasion. He's my lock of the card. And, and I hope I'm finding the correct fighter that I can say the lock of the card. I think he's my lock of the card. I'm going to have him in almost all my lineups. I probably will have him in every single lineup. Um, I, I'm pretty bullish on, on him this week. And I think he's going to break Themba Garimbo en route to a finish. 
Looking at the prop bets on this one for AJ Fletcher, minus 110 win inside the distance, plus 175 to win via TKO KO, plus 330 win via submission, plus 275 to win via decision. Uh, fight uh, goes to the distance is plus 165. And then you look at the other side with Thimba, plus 400 inside the distance, plus 1200 wins via TKO KO, plus 550 wins via submission, plus 650 wins. Via decision, and uh, you know, Joe mentioned about the, they had a uh, intense uh, face-off, and I was actually watching it, and uh, AJ Fletcher looked, looked like a stone cold killer the way he was looking at him. Really, I can't wait to watch it. Yeah, I, I like AJ Fletcher. I mean, he trains a lot with Dustin Poirier as well. Um, the, the kid is really good, and if he loses three fights in the UFC and gets cut, I will be very disappointed because his skill set is so much better than a lot of people that kind of hang around in this promotion. And sometimes it's like he's a late bloomer or, yeah. or certain fighters are late bloomers. But from everything I'm seeing, he has high upside on the ground, high upside on the feet. I think he's just going to get a finish here. He just has to avoid a dangerous straight punch from Thema Garimbo because I think jujitsu-wise, he's going to be fine. Then our opening fight of the night will be Carpenter versus Ronderos. Uh, Carpenter is the betting favorite in this one. He is a minus 325 betting favorite, plus 265 for Ronderos. Uh, Carpenter, 9300 on DK, $21 on FanDuel. And Ronderos, he is 6900 on DK, $10 over there on FanDuel. Pete, what's your thoughts? Well, I mean, like, I was looking at the top, and I'm trying to, like, make sure that I don't have a dud as my lock of the card. Clayton Carpenter was very close to, to you know, getting into the, the lock of the card, but the more fight film I started to, to watch of him, he's willing to just stand and trade. And I do think that's fun and that's fine, but at the flyweight division, you can have a guy who just has more volume than you win as steal a decision. And if you don't use your best skill set, which is grappling immediately, you could actually be down on the scorecards. And if you can't find a a finish you could actually you know put up a dud score or just lose at a hefty price tag of minus 315 now juan camillo ronderos is a guy that i'm kind of surprised made into the ufc kind of just you know hopped on an opportunity to step in on short notice against david dvorak um but up until he got taken down it was close he was throwing high volume he wasn't really landing at a great clip so his accuracy is in the best but he's pretty fast, pretty fast, throws a lot. Um, regionally was was picking up some submission finishes, but was quickly tapped out against David Dvorak. Once he was his back was taken and he was put into that uh, rear naked choke, he panic tap. And I did not like that at all because, you know, when I see Clint Carpenter's ground game and he's at least a Brazilian jiu-jitsu brown belt, I don't know if he was promoted to a black belt, He's very, very good, very slick. We'll, we'll die for leg locks and everything in between. Um, he could pick up a very easy win here if he wants to. If he wants to go out there and impress and show everybody he's not just a grappler, that's where you know it could be a pretty close fight, closer than it should be, until he decides to grapple and then finishes Juan Camilo Rondero. So with all that being said, Juan Camilo Rondero is no more than a punt for me just of in a loss, possibly flyweight division boost some totals. But eventually I do think that Clayton Carpenter gets it done. Um, should be able to pick up a finish here, especially if he employs the correct grappling game plan. So 9,300, I'm fine with it. The worry is just like from all the fights I've seen of him just standing and trading. There's no need to just, just take him down, take him down and submit him. 
Pete, now before we get into our listener questions, let's get right into our straight up picks, fight picks. These are not DFS or betting related, just our straight up picks on this one. Main event, uh, I'm, I've kind of gone a little bit back and forth in this one, but I'm going to go Jessica Andrade. Okay, I'm going to be a sucker. I got to stick with with my my prospect, Aaron Blanchfield. Uh, co-main event, give me Zach Paga. I'm going narrative street. I'm rooting for Jordan right here. I'm rooting for him. All right, this one's this one's a tough one. Um, I'm gonna say Josh Parisian don't feel good. No oh God, I'm gonna go Jamal Pogues. I hate that fight. Uh, I'll go Marcin Pracniao. I'm gonna go William Knight. I am I'm willing to be wrong on a lot of this. This is a complete GPP. That's where like I I just tried to find one fighter I can trust, and I think that's AJ Fletcher. So give me William Knight. I'll go with my third underdog so far, Jim Miller. I'll go Hernandez. Uh, then I'll go uh, Nazim. I'm going to go Elder. Uh, I will go Silva. Silva. Give me underdog number four in Jamal. Give me Emmers. Uh, I'll go Leans. Leans. Fletcher. Fletcher. And Carpenter. Carpenter. All right, before we uh, get into listener questions, let's talk about uh, prize picks, super draft, and underdog fantasy as we uh, first off look over there at prize picks. By the way, I was on prize picks a little earlier. They got a free square up there on Luka Doncic in the second half uh, in terms of a 30 point game. So uh, if you're going to play over prize picks, uh, take advantage of that one. That, that one, uh, you might have to wait. You, you know, well, you might have to wait until next week for it to come in for you. But uh, Luka Doncic is going to get more than uh, one game of uh, 30 point points. Uh, looking over, over at um, you know one that's kind of sticks out to me a little bit is the fight time on Andrade at 12 and a half. She's taking this one on short notice, and I'm yeah. just like, I'm kind of thinking less than 12 and a half. Yeah, I think it's close, right? Like middle second, it could start to get ugly. And it's like, does it finish in the second going into the third? Um, if it hits the fourth round, it'd be pretty, I like it a lot. If it was like under three and a half, you know what I mean? Like, uh, but I, I think that w- that's decent. I would probably say less than that as well. The under six minute fight time on Zach Paga is interesting to me. Hmm. You know how Jordan Wright keeps that chin out there. I, know. I mean, that, and, and you know, know, he's going to be flinging bombs. Like it, it's, I'm not saying that it would be like a, you know, a core play for me on prize picks. I just think it's an interesting one. Yeah, I'm with you. I think it's interesting. And historically, you would say less, you know, but things could things could be changed here. Who knows? Um, other, other on prize picks, I will tell you, um, I do the AJ Fletcher takedowns one and a half, I think is a, an interesting prop bet. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting and worth a sprinkle because he has a clear path to multiple takedowns against a guy who just likes to play off of his back. So. It's just a matter of if he if he deals with the range well enough on the feet, he might just be content with standing on standing and trading. But everything I see from Fletcher, he likes to mix everything in like an MMA fight, get in top position and and ground and pound you as well. So I, I like that play. Outside of that on price pick, there just there wasn't a lot that stuck out to me yeah. that just was like you just scream like, you know, last week when they ended up taking it down, but it was the um the Shane Young takedown. Like I remember when I yeah. looked on Saturday, they they got rid of it. So I'm I'm guessing someone probably just hammered that one, and they were like, "Whoa, maybe we don't need to go that route." But uh, yeah. outside of that, over at, at Price Picks, there's not much that sticks out to me. 
Yeah, I agree with you. And that's because everybody listening to our show took advantage of that. We said that was a horrible line. Take advantage of that. And uh, Prize Picks is starting to pay attention. So because of everybody's support, we can't thank you guys enough. And uh, for an ugly card, we still have a, a lot of people tuning in. Uh, we appreciate every single one of you guys. If we could get us to 100 likes on a horrible week of fights like this, I would be absolutely surprised and super thankful. And, uh, yeah, can't, can't wait to see if we could put some some big wins together. Now, looking over over there at Underdog Fancy, the uh, half uh, finish line on Jessica Andrade. If you like Jessica Andrade to win that fight, I, I don't know how you don't go higher there. Um, yeah. Outside of that, um, you know, that, that sticks out to me, uh, I would look at the A.J. Fletcher one-and-a-half takedowns. I like more uh, in terms of that one. And I would probably, another one Underdog Fancy, that on the more side that sticks out to me, maybe Philippe Leans at 46-and-a-half significant strikes. Yeah, I like that one a lot. I actually really do like that because – I don't know, man. Like Joe says, I'm a t- Tennessee boy, but OSP just looks like he doesn't necessarily want to fight lately in the cage. He's right. I, like I, I watched the film. I'm like, he looks he looks checked out as soon as the fight begins. So I don't know what's going on. Could be financial decisions. Could just be body length. I don't know what it is, but he does not look nearly the same. He doesn't want to be in there. So. And uh, finally, looking over there at Super Draft, uh, as a champion, A.J. Fletcher, 1.6 is one that does uh, kind of stick out to me. I mean, look, if you want to take some chances, I, I think there's some other ones like Jordan Wright, 2.25. Um, if you want to go down that narrative street, um, and, and we know what, what Jordan Wright is. We know Jordan Wright is a finisher. The other one, Jim Miller, 2.2 as a champion. If you want to take a little bit of a, of a stab, you know, looking at Erdog, get your, your multiplier up there. That's one that sticks out to me. Yeah. I'm with you. I mean, I'm all about AJ Fletcher this week. And on some crazy weeks like this, I like to plant a flag. And if I'm wrong, I'm okay with it because I know that the rest of the card is is going to be volatile and it's going to be weird. I just want to try to hit the the one fighter that the, the missing piece that everybody's like, damn, I wish I had more than twenty five percent. If I can really nail that on a weird, ugly week like this, I feel like I can have a ton of leverage on the slate. Of course, if you ever have any questions uh, for us, all you can just do is hit us up right here in the chat. If you're in our Discord channel, totally free to join. You can uh, ask us questions. So I pulled some uh, questions from Discord here a little bit earlier here, Pete. Um, let's, uh, one was, any locks, good plays for cash games? I mean, honestly, for cash, it depends on how you foresee the fight going, but you need you need to start with the main event. Like, you have to. Yeah. You might even put both of them in there. If you think like Andrade is going to land a ton, it's going to be wild, and then they're both going to pick up takedowns. Um, you know, I, I don't necessarily hate that, but I think you need at least one of those. And then it's back your favorite 9,000 fighter. Probably comes down to Carpenter, Pauga, not Bogues. It's probably Pauga, Carpenter, and uh, my boy, um, uh, AJ Fletcher. All right, that, that leads to another question we got from uh, Mr. Sledge. He said, who's the 9K fighter you like the least besides Bueno Silva? Yeah, great. I'm glad you said that because I was going to say Bueno Silva. Um, I guess naturally it's got to be Jamal Pogues just because of my uncertainty surrounding him. Like, I, I don't – I wasn't impressed. Like, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I think you should be – Heavyweights are more apt to find finishes. Mm-hmm. So when I look at a guy that isn't some prolific finisher, I mean, he's he picks him up, but his most recent fights, it was like, okay, 
I don't know. It just seems like a sloppy heavyweight contest. He'd probably be my, be my least favorite. And I don't necessarily like heavy favorites in heavyweight MMA to begin with. So that's who I'll say. Uh, best leverage plays under 8K and above 8K. Above 8K, Zach Paulga is sticking out to me right now. You really, really like your boy Paulga, huh? Well, I'm liking what that projected ownership is too. Let me see it. Um, yeah, I can see why. <laughs> <laughs> see, now you see why. I think I'd probably go Philippe Leans. Uh, the under, eight, yeah, the under 8K, I think there's a couple that, that stick out to me. Uh, I mean, Jim Miller, because we just know the, the upside that Jim Miller has. Um, I mean, oh wow, you know, out, outside of that, maybe it's like a Jamal uh, Emmers is another one as an under 8K play. I like an ownership play. I like the Evan Elder ownership, okay. truthfully, you know, and it's a guy that I think not everybody's going to give him a fair shake. He, he took a fight up a weight class, wasn't in a situation where he was the better grappler. Normally he is. He's the better grappler in this one. And I have seen some some questions about Nazim Sadikov's ground game. And uh, he just needs to not get knocked out and just make this an MMA fight. And I think that go to the takedown well over and over. He can do it. And part of Sanford MMA working with Greg Jones down there, yeah, I think he's going to be more than ready. And Elder would be my pick for this next question, which was best value plays on a DraftKings single entry under 8,000. Like if I think of the single entries and who I think, I, I, I think Jim Miller is going to be a, is going to be a popular play that people are going to look at in single entries as an underdog. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, single entry. Kind of spread out ownership, right? Like it's a, it's a little weird slate. Like even if you're navigating throughout it, it's like, some of these horrendous options are carrying some heavy ownership. So I have no issue getting to an Evan Elder who's kind of getting glossed over. By the way, Sam's over under number on finishes is five and a half. So he he's right here in the middle. I'm going to say more. Um, 11 fights. Yeah, I'm going to say more. I would. Yeah, I would lean more. But man, there are, there are some fights that I think we could see a lot of decisions potentially. Um, top two cash. One A Blanchfield, one B Andrage. Outside of that, Fletcher for me. Uh, GPPs. I really like Fletcher. I'm going to sound like a broken record. If he does terrible this week, I, I'll be very surprised. Um, Give us Clayton Carpenter, though. I, I was just thinking about this, like, you know, because I know, you know, Sam always has, like, you know, favorite inside distance, you know, optimal, and it kind of made me think about potential slate breakers for this one. And just kind of looking at some projected ownership, you know, I mean, like you've mentioned about, and not, not to sound like a broken record here, but if Evan Elder can get the takedown route, that could be a guy who could rack up a lot of points with takedowns. 100%. 100%. I mean, like, for MMA, when you realize that, like, 97% of the field isn't getting to certain fighters, I'm going to just have stabs on it. Like, I, I'll, I'll bring this up every week. Steven Kozlo got me enough points in a loss to win the GPP um, tournament that I was in by getting takedowns. Uh, takedowns are great. High volume second. 
like high volume striking, total strikes, all that. That's where like a, a Landsberg or Juan Camille Ronderos, if he can avoid getting finished. Juan Camille Ronderos trains at Extreme Couture. So layoff, unknown surrounding him. He's in the UFC, so I know he's training all the time, but I, I mean his tape, his fight tape is horrendous. But even in a loss, like if he can get you 40 points, 50 points, that's just enough, man. And it allows you to pay up in other spots. And next thing you know, you have a 600-point lineup and doing damn well. A couple other questions we got here before we get out of here. Coming from the YouTube chat, uh, Sean saying most confident picks, favorite inside distance, and a safe, even money parlay. All right, let's hear your answers to that. Because you know that I, I'm going to be saying AJ Fletcher all day long. What, how would you answer that? I'd be looking at uh, – I, I I really like Philippe Leans. Um, okay. I, I, like, if I was looking for kind of like a safe, like, confident slash, you know, you know p- parlay, I'd probably be looking at like a, a three-fighter parlay. i take the first three fights, Carpenter, Fletcher, and Leans on the money lines. Well, I don't like that. I mean, I mean, I don't like that. I don't hate that at all. Um, what's that set us at? Let's, let's, let's do that. We got Fletcher. That doesn't sound bad at all. all right, hold yeah, on. I'm pulling up my screen right now with the, the calculator on that. All right. Fletcher, Leans, Carpenter gives us plus 162. Yeah. I don't hate that. I don't hate that. That seems like a PFL parlay, doesn't it? Like, tell me that's <laughs> not like a PFL, Bellator, prelims. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of PFL, they're on tonight, aren't they? Uh, yeah, Challenger Series. Um, we got Anthony Romero, uh, lightweight who had fought on the Contender Series. Uh, he's a part of that one. Um, you know, trying to trying to get into the tournament. Um, also a name that we're familiar with, uh, kind of headlining it and uh, from Tennessee, Demir Ferhat Bogavich. Yeah, he uh, well, he nope. actually he actually missed weight. Um, Did he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he, How does he, that work with the with with the Entry into the tournament. Uh, fights a, a catchweight matchup. Uh, I saw okay. uh, his opponent's management because I follow his manager on, on Instagram. Uh, noted that uh, the fight would continue as a catchweight, but uh, yeah, Demir missed weight. Does that still make him eligible if he wins or possible? I mean, not I'm not sure, but you know, I, what I, mean? I, w- I would think yeah. it's still, I, I, I guess it probably depends on how he looks, but I, right, I would imagine true. he was still there. Um, you know, favorite inside the distance ones for this one, I, I kind of look at overall the main event. Um, particularly on the Andrage situation. Co-main event, I'd be relatively surprised if that thing goes 15 minutes. Uh, other yeah. ones, um, I, got, I think I look at Hernandez and Miller as another inside distance type fight. Yeah, I mean, Palga sits at minus 175 inside the distance, and I think that's fair just because of what Jordan Wright is. I've been saying for years, Jordan Wright's not good. I'm rooting for him personally. Um, I think that striking wise, he's fine, but in MMA fights, he's super, super volatile. So you got minus 175 for uh, Pauga. You have Carpenter at minus 125 and AJ Fletcher at minus 110. So we're kind of splitting hairs here. You know, I'm going to go with AJ Fletcher, but I, I think that, you know, I don't like to prop parlay. Mm-hmm. But I might have to do that for those three fights just because. Yeah, no, I get you. Uh, next next question from Sammy says, how many underdogs are too many for this card? From a GPP perspective, 
I, I think you probably want to look two to three would be kind of the sweet yeah, spot for me. Um, but if you tell me five underdogs win on this card overall, that would that wouldn't be a surprising order to me. I mean, but it's crazy because not many people are going to have that construction, and that's where like solo taking down a tournament. If you put four or five, yeah, it's kind of hard to do that though, right? Like you have thousands of dollars left over in salary like it, it, i don't know it just plays games with your head you're like i'm not doing that you're wasting money but i would say three yeah three is probably fine you know and, and that pick em fight is you you can count the pick em fight uh joe says uh for a big field gpp on this type of card how different do you get on the field with playing four underdogs i think four you get very different because mm-hmm. there's no Hamzat Shemaev, Kamaru Usman at the top, where it's like, okay, you're like, you're getting Myro Bueno Silva. She should win. She's not a high volume or takedown artist that you can bank on 150 points. You know what I mean? So it's like, why are you saving all the salary? Where are you spending up? Um, yeah. But that's kind of like my theory behind it. That's why like, I think three is kind of the wheelhouse that I would limit myself. Doesn't mean that more than three can't win. I just think that there are some pretty decent high-profile 9,000 options. Uh, Joe uh, Foley on this one, he says, when, when, I don't know when the last time Hernandez took a short notice, uh, but I remember he did the same for UFC debut versus Dariush and got the early KO, and Miller's chin is slightly getting worse. Yeah, I, I want to say his UFC debut against Dariush was the only time he took a short notice matchup there. Um, you know, I think also one thing to notice is that Hernandez has kind of taken a coaching role um, at Factory X as well. And really? um, there are some new fighters that have uh, uh, made their way to Factory X. By the way, um, did see, it does appear that uh, Eric Anders has left fight ready and is now training at uh, the lab there in Arizona with Vincent Henderson and John Crouch. Really? Wow. Weird. That that, um, that was a, a uh, gym and, manage, and, and his management issue. I love how they just ruined one of the best gyms out there. Like, how many fighters have left? Jonathan Pierce has left. This one's left. This no, one's no, left no, fighting. no, no, no. Uh, I believe only two fighters ultimately left fight ready. They sided with the gym over their man. I thought Jonathan Pierce left, and I thought no, that no, that no. girl that was a former stripper left. No, J- what was her name? JSP is still there at fight ready. Vanessa <laughs> Demopoulos, uh, she is also uh, at Factory X now. Uh, David Onama is at Factory X now. I would imagine you're going to see a lot of those glory fighters end up at Factory X. Yeah, that makes sense. If not, it's um, not Factory X Team Oyama. You know, one thing that I really like when I'm looking at, I take social media into a tiny account. I watch Fight Film Bank on that and kind of like get my reads and everything. But when I'm looking at social media and I'm seeing guys spar a lot with MMA gloves, Jason, I can't explain that to you enough. As an MMA fighter, mm-hmm. as a coach, the range, the timing, in everything with MMA gloves, the padded MMA gloves, not the competition ones, mm-hmm. the MMA sparring gloves is one of the biggest boosters to my confidence in certain fighters when I see that. Because everybody's so accustomed to boxing range, you know, a, a kickboxing range with the big gloves. It's so different when you're throwing on MMA gloves. Sean Strickland's a perfect example of that. So that's like something that I, that's like like a nice little nugget for everybody to know out there. I really value it when I see fighters out there with MMA gloves on. So like a Jamal Emers did a lot this camp with MMA gloves on 
uh, Alexander Hernandez, even though he didn't have a fight, he's been doing a lot of work with MMA gloves. So just something to think of. You know, one of the things I look at, particularly on Instagram, is a great way to maybe see if they're cross-training at, at different gyms. Yeah. And, and sometimes I'll go into the gym's Instagram account, and then right. I'll click I'll click on the tab where they've been tagged. So then I kind of yes. see what fighters maybe didn't post they were there, but they got tagged yep. in a post yep. that they were there. That's my favorite thing, too, because a lot of people kind of go fly under the radar. Like AJ Fletcher, flown under the radar social media-wise, like non-existent. You go to that tagged tab. And then you see, oh, wow, he's been training a lot with Dustin Poirier. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, like well, you figured he's been training, but some people are social media focused and some people are just grinding. So I, I do the same type of things as well. And it's something to note. Of course, we appreciate everyone tuning in here for our preview of UFC Vegas 69. Of course, uh, be sure to smash that thumbs up button. If you're not subscribed to the channel, be sure to do that. That does uh, truly help us out a ton. Leave a comment in the comment section below. And myself or Pete, we will answer your questions in there. So we appreciate everyone tuning in for our preview show. And we will talk to you next week as we will get you ready for whenever cards next week. <laughs> There's a Thank card you, next guys. Week. Have a good one. There's a card next week. I have no idea who's on it right now. Just be honest. Yeah. Me either, brother. I don't know. But guys, <laughs> thank you so much. Please hit that like button, subscribe to the channel, and have a good weekend.